We're starting this, um, this letter, letter of James, and uh, it's only five chapters. It'll take us um, till, till Easter to, to get into it and to uh, uh, kind of lift open its pages week by week. It's uh, easy enough for you to read in one sitting. You can sit down and read it. It won't take you very long to read it. Um, some people are further going to have a go at memorizing it from beginning to end, so you can have a go at that if you like. Um, but but what, what I'm saying is it's not like we're covering a vast area of Scripture that you can't get a handle on, okay? So within these next few weeks, it should be relatively easy to go, James chapter 1, that's this, this, and this. James chapter 2, that's that and that. James chapter 3, James chapter 4, James chapter 5, and uh, Bob's your uncle. Um, Although you might not be, but at least you'll know what's in, what's in James. So I'm encouraging you uh, that whereas Ezekiel, we were doing like 48 chapters and we're sort of, uh, we're, we're hovering over a little bit higher. Okay, James, we, we can come a little bit closer to the words and the action as, uh, as we kind of uh, uh, look at it all um, together. So new hashtag, uh, there it is. Um, you can follow everything um, on the, the website. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and all that jazz if that floats you about. Um, you can also click on a, a link that will allow you just to subscribe to this series um, or to subscribe to all the podcasts that we uh, produce week by week. Uh, also on the website, if you're not aware of it, are usually, or at least most of the time, a kind of summary of the slides that you see on uh, the screen. They might be useful to you as you catch up or listen to it a, a second time or because you're preparing for your small group or whatever it might be. So just a reminder that all those resources are there and available to you. And uh, huge thanks to the, the guys at the back that record the stuff and uh, to Frank Carver who gets it up on the website for us uh, week by week. Really grateful to those for helping us in that way. We're thinking um, this morning about this question as we get underway. Where is my allegiance? Let's pray together. Father, your word says that it's all God breathed, that it's all inspired, that it's all useful for teaching and training and equipping in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped, empowered, and enabled to live every good work. Help me over these weeks to hear what you say and to do what I'm hearing you say. Rescue me from being satisfied by learning alone. Rescue me from intellectual satisfaction at learning something new or understanding something differently or seeing a new perspective. Help me to push that through day by day into action, into the way that I live. So help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's why missional communities and small groups are so important. If, uh, if you don't connect with other Christians during the week in a really meaningful way, it's almost impossible 
to put into practice what you hear on a Sunday. However good your intention, however determined that you are that you'll do something about it, if you're outside of a community of people, uh, it makes that as, as good as not going to happen. Really urge you and encourage you to get connected, which you can down to my left just at the end of our time uh, this morning. So let's get underway. James 1 verse 1, there it is. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion or to the 12 scattered tribes, depending on the version of the NIV that you have in front of you. Greetings to you. And so he begins, and we'll get no further than that verse uh, this morning. So James, James who? Good question. There are four possibilities, uh, but only one real possibility. There are four Jameses mentioned in the New Testament that therefore could potentially be candidates for the author of this letter. Two of those Jameses are quite obscure figures, and therefore it seems highly improbable that a letter called James would be attributed to them as very little, if nothing is known uh, about them, which leaves two Jameses that are in the running. One James James is uh, a disciple of Jesus, one of the apostles, one of the twelve, and the other James is the brother of Jesus, the physical flesh and blood, although not quite brother of Jesus. He's not quite a stepbrother or a half-brother, maybe. What do you call it when your brother is the Son of God? You can't totally be his brother, but you kind of are at the same time. So there's two Jameses. The, the James who was the apostle might seem the obvious choice at the beginning, but he died way too early, probably, to be the author of this letter, which means by far, and for a host of other reasons that we won't uh, kind of uh, hang on to this morning, the most likely scenario is that James the half-brother or the brother of Jesus, the son, the physical, normal, natural son of Mary and Joseph, is the author of this uh, letter. And uh, there might be some tradition that says that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life because of uh, uh, our willingness to, to uh, deify her or worship her in some way. But clearly, clearly the, the New Testament teaches against that. Jesus had brothers that met him. And uh, James is listed in the Gospels as one of the elder brothers in the pack. He's mentioned first. So when they criticize Jesus, Matthew writes, they say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's named Mary and aren't his brothers? Look here, his brothers, James. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, James being mentioned first, suggests he's the eldest brother in the same way that you probably mention your kids in the order that they were born. Or you might choose to always mention your favorite first. No, 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 no. You probably do it in the order they were born. And uh, and so they're exactly the same in this tradition. In fact, even more so in this tradition. So James is probably the eldest brother. Grew in the household of Mary and Joseph. Had uh, the Son of God as his brother. How irritating must that have been? Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, James. Jesus was right. Again? Sorry, James. Jesus was right. Why can't you be like your brother? So, a lot of pressure on poor James, and uh, God had to do a lot of work in James's life. And you might imagine some of the natural rivalry that there might have been in the household. I'm purely conjecture, I'm not saying the Bible attests to this at all. 
Imagine some of the, the, the tension between uh, Jesus who went on to do what he did and James the other elder brother and so on. And so like the other brothers, they really struggled with who Jesus was. Uh, and at times they thought he was mad. At times they would have joined in with the, the, his hometown and, and gone, man, this, this guy Jesus, he's, he's got a head way too big for reality um, and, uh, and, and struggled in so many ways with who he was. For even his own brothers did not believe in him, John reminds us. And that's when Jesus had gone up to the feast and was about to make some mega claims about who he was and the brothers were kind of encouraging him to go back home and, and keep it a bit quieter and, and so on. And so James, like his brother, couldn't accept who Jesus was. Then really frustratingly, and sometimes the Bible can be highly irritating in that regard, and uh, we shall have a word with its author when we get there to work out why. We know nothing except the very next time James is mentioned is not in the Gospels, but in a letter that Paul writes to one of the churches, to the Corinthian church, and he's reminding the church about the risen Jesus, and this is what it says, that the Lord appeared to James. Bingo. To James, the older brother, and then to all the apostles. Uh, and I'd love to know what happened between that verse where James could not accept who Jesus was claiming to be and that day when James worshipped him as the risen Jesus. Wouldn't you love to know? Uh, and I guess maybe it's in our best interest that we don't know because we'd want to follow the pattern and we'd love to write down the detail because what you and I long more than anything is for someone to tell us exactly how to do it. We want a 12-step program to heaven or even a one-step, two-step program. We want to know exactly what we need to do to uh, enhance our lives, change our, uh, our weight, improve our health, uh, whatever it might be. Someone give me the step-by-step guide. Uh, and basically the Bible is completely silent on the step-by-step-by-step-by-step in James's life, other than we know. He went from saying, I do not accept who Jesus is, to worshipping him as the risen Jesus. And all of us here might travel from there to there in many different ways. But the message here is this. The real story only begins when you get to that place of knowing for yourself, the risen Jesus. You can even have Jesus as your brother. But until you know him as the risen Lord, it will not change your life. And James's life was incredibly changed. So think about it. He's a, he's, he's, he's a born in the country. He's a, he's a peasant. He's not very educated in, a, in kind of the city sense. He was a, uh, uh, maybe he also grew up in the father's business. Who, who, who knows? But he met the risen Jesus and became a very prominent person in the early church. He almost certainly mentored Paul. So Paul the Apostle had this massive conversion experience uh, and he went and hid away to try and get all kinds of help from different people. And one of the key people that Paul spent time with was James. Such is the work that the risen Jesus 
had done in James's life. He became a pillar of the church community, numbered amongst some of the key guys that were leading out the church. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And James went on to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now, if you're going to lead any church, the Jerusalem church is a pretty cool church to lead, won't you say? Do you know? First Baptist Church, Texas is not as good as First Baptist Church, Jerusalem, is it? It was a Baptist church, right? Wasn't it? Did they say that? Was it? I think so. And it kind of makes perfect sense now why James is writing this letter to the scattered tribes. You remember that after Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, 8, end of 7, beginning of 8, and the people were scattered and they preached the gospel wherever they went. It was persecution, but it was the best thing that could have happened to the church. And, and they spread out. And, and now, uh, years later, James, as the kind of leader of that mother church, writes this letter to all the Christians scattered around in order to encourage them, particularly as they face trials and temptations, to encourage them to live out the gospel that Jesus has called them to. And this is the letter that we have before us today. That's James's story. He went from not knowing, not accepting, to meeting the risen Jesus. So what's your story? What's your story? As we begin this letter, it will make no sense to you whatsoever unless you've met the risen Jesus. If you haven't met him, this letter will seem a lot of hard work. If you haven't met him, this letter will feel like a shed load of demands that you'll never be able to rise to. If you haven't met him, then you will not see the point of the sacrifice to which this letter calls us to. He was anti-distant, misunderstood, But at some point, was it when he saw Jesus die? Was it when Jesus said to his brothers for the final time that I'm going to the cross? When was it when James put his trust in the risen Jesus? When was it that you put your trust in the risen Jesus and said he is the one that this world has always needed? He is the one that this world has longed for. He is the one in whom I put my trust. Until we meet Jesus, nothing else makes sense. Two kings, two things then follow from this life, from this, uh, uh, initial introductory verse about James, who'd met the risen Jesus. Because he'd met the risen Jesus, he was committed to a life of service. Because he'd met the risen Jesus, he was committed to a life of service. James, a servant. James, downwardly mobile. Not James, the leader of the most prestigious church on the planet at the time. Not James, the brother of Jesus. 
not James, the only one to have claimed to have, uh, uh, have raced Jesus around the village or whatever it might be. Not all the things that James could have said to build him up and to lift him up and to make him look good before others. No, James uh, going down, downwardly mobile. James, a servant. Something about meeting Jesus had so changed the natural tendency of James. And so meeting Jesus changes the natural tendency in all of us. For we all look for an upward mobility. We all look to lift ourselves up. We all look to be in that place to which others would look to us. We all look to justify who we are by the things that we do and the status that we have and the what's this and the what's that. So we put letters after our name and weird titles before our name and all that kind of stuff in order to try and say something. And yet James goes, hey, I'm a servant now. I don't really have my own life. I just live to serve. I just live to do what's being asked of me. You know, as water seeks out the lowest point, you know, if you kind of, if you have a leak, it just, just sort of trickles down and, and will eventually kind of find the, the, the lowest point. It will just be so persistent in seeping through everything till the, the water gets right to the very bottom. Jesus was like that, wasn't he? He, he always looked for the people of lowest position. Have you noticed that? He so irritated the guys that were busy trying to be upwardly mobile because he was busy trying to be downwardly mobile. And so he would meet with the, the, the people who were, who were regarded as if uh, not all of us are the same. The people regarded as sinners and tax collectors and the outcasts and the marginalized. And he, he would seek them out. He seemed to like have a homing device for people that were, that were on the edge, that were down the bottom, that were in the gutter. And he would seek them out. And he would often take the position of the lowest in the pack. He would talk about a table and the people that want to sit at the top table. And he said, you've got to be really careful about trying to sit at the top table. Because sure as eggs is eggs, someone will move you. And that's awkward. Uh, and then when he had that moment with the disciples just before he died and he washed their feet and he, he took on the, the form of the lowest servant. He was always taking the, the side of the, he was always downwardly going down and down and down and down. And, and James says, I've met the risen Jesus and I've captured something of this. The life I now live is the life of, of service. It's the life of a servant. It's the life of, of going downwardly mobile. And I tell you, you wouldn't do that unless you've met Jesus. Because we live in a world where we're going up. And, 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 and oddly enough, even in Christian circles, we create environments where we're, we're always trying to go up. We're, we're still seeking to be upwardly mobile. When Jesus was always going down and down and down until he ended up dying, the worst death of all in the place of a criminal. You can't get lower than that. Uh, and James is, is kind of saying, if I've understood anything about what following Jesus is all about, it's, it's about me going down to the lowest place. To serve in his honor. You see, and it makes no sense unless you've seen Jesus seek out the lowest people. It makes no sense unless you've seen Jesus take up the lowest position. And then as you see Jesus on the cross for you and me, taking the, the lowest place possible, you say, I, I want to live like that. There's something truly beautiful about that kind of life. And I'm willing to change the direction of my mobility from up. To down, which is the other reality here, a life of surrender.
a life of surrender, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a life surrendered to his purpose. At first, James had thought that Jesus' teaching was mad. At first, James had thought that Jesus' way of life was ridiculous. At first, James had thought that the only thing Jesus was bringing to the family was an acute sense of awkwardness and embarrassment. But as he watched that life, as he listened to that life, and then maybe, as I say, as he watched him die, James now says, look, this is where I am. Whatever I once thought I knew about Jesus, whatever I once protested about who he was and what he claimed to do, where I am right now, says James, is I'm giving all of my life to this Jesus. I'm surrendering it all to him, a servant of God. And of our Lord in serving God. And in doing that, I'm a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life to him. And he did. And he did. And do you know what's so ironic about what happened to James? Is that the priestly class, the upwardly mobile people, the people that were full of themselves... The people that thought they knew God the best. The people that thought they were the closest to God. The people that thought they understood how to live, which was to exalt oneself before others. They stoned him to death because he lived as a servant of Jesus. And James says, well, that's where I am. I'm I'm surrendered. And by this time, many of the apostles had, had been martyred for their faith. James, under no illusion, as persecution is rife right across the empire. James is under no illusion what this kind of life might mean. But, but he says, I'm giving it all now for this Jesus. I'm absolutely captivated by him. I find something immensely attractive about what I see in James in these opening verses. Who's met the risen Jesus in such a profound way that he is saying, I cannot live the ordinary way anymore of seeking to be upwardly mobile, but I am going to seek out the place of the servant. I'm going to seek out the people that are on the edge and at the bottom. I'm going to go to the places and take on the roles of those who are what society and what the world would say are beneath me and below me because I've seen something so precious in Jesus. I'm not going to let go of that even if they kill me for it. I'm going for it all the way. If you don't glimpse and if I don't glimpse something of that heart And that frame of reference that James shows here, we will, we will not grasp the rest of the book. It makes no sense. But if we can see in James a radical commitment to going down rather than up, a radical commitment to giving up 
for the Jesus who gave up everything for us. Then in these words, in these pages, there is a richness of life that is a beauty beyond compare. So what are you giving your life to? Or who are you giving your life for? Two questions for us to hold in the air as we begin to think about what James will bring to us over these weeks. What's your story? Where where am I? Have I met this risen Jesus that changes everything? And if I've really met him, surely a sign that I've met him that I will begin to align myself with James and say, if I've met Jesus, someone so downwardly mobile that he'd leave heaven to become a man, to become a man, to become a servant, to be a servant, to die a criminal's death on a cross and be buried in a borrowed tomb. If, I, if, I, if I've met a Jesus who is that downwardly mobile, then I'm going to begin to say, I'm stopping climbing that ladder anymore because it makes no sense if I say I love him and I serve him and I want to give my life for his purpose. It's kind of really difficult and and instinctively in our hearts we'll be going yeah, yeah And, and yet we know the reality of our lives. We know how easy it is we want to step up, even if that means stepping on. And I guess what I sense the Spirit saying to us this morning is, is, is it, as we recognize that it's only the Spirit in us that can bring this change as we meet Jesus. What I sense the Spirit saying to us this morning is this. Are you, are you willing? Are you willing to allow me to touch you, to shape you, in such a way that I might change the trajectory of your life from going up to going down. Let's pray.